Welcome to Trail Tales ARP, a running podcast for every type of runner, with Sean Sobon and Russell the Runner. Run wild. I love the chase and the hunt, and I set the pace when I'm running. I always take what I want, and I always give it 100. Don't need a bank, no, I'm funded. Play the game like it's nothing. I'm always thankful for something. Don't take for granted, stay humble. Now we go. It's time to look at the enemy. Look in the mirror, if he is no friend of me. It's not working out, maybe it's the chemistry. It's time to break up so I can make a better me. I mean, clearly reaching that finish line must have been beyond special. It, it must have been the most special moment of your life in many ways, or one of the most special moments of your life. And tell us about what it felt like reaching the finish line of one of the most difficult ultra marathons in the world. <laughs> I was so glad to be done by that point. But yeah, near, near the end, I remember coming from the last aid station. I actually forgot to uh, uh, fill my bottles. No, no, sorry. I filled my bottles. I didn't drink at the aid station. And so right as I was leaving the aid station, um, I, I drank my bottles and they were gone right away. So that was a bit of a mistake. And then I, so I had some salt pills and electrolyte pills. So I, I took more than I needed with my last sip of bottle and threw those down just to get me to the finish. But then... I remember coming in with the last few miles, I was so timid because it's, it's this rocky downhill on this uh, this dry creek bed. And I was so worried I was going to twist an ankle or something. So I'm not even running properly anymore because I'm being so careful. And uh, I didn't want to hurt myself before the finish. But anyway, uh, obviously came into the finish. And then, yeah, it's an ecstatic feeling. Uh, totally exhausted. And then you know, having to drive back to my hotel, which is only a few minutes away after that. <laughs> I was... I so exhausted. I flopped on the bed, fell asleep for 13 hours, and uh, I kept waking up. Can't even explain how drenched in sweat I was more than ever in my life. I thought someone had poured a bucket over the bed. It was just my body was healing, I guess. And so I would roll over and then wake up later on. And the other side of the bed was drenched. I don't just mean sweat. I mean, it, it was like someone had poured a bucket on the bed. I felt bad. I didn't know if I was going to get a bill from the hotel later because they it looked like I'd poured something all over the bed. But uh, anyway, yeah, it took me a while for my body to heal. A bunch of the other runners were heading up to the North Shore the next day and they invited me to come and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I hobbled from my hotel where I was. I hobbled down to the beach there and it took me 10 minutes to go a few blocks and just blisters. Everything was so sore. Every Everything that I wore that had any kind of rubbing at all basically chafed and bled during the race like my I was wearing a belt I never used a pack back then I wore a belt with two bottles on it and uh all around my waist was all cut up and anything that rubbed at all and so yeah it took a while to for everything to heal up and be able to just walk and run properly again was a while after that and I planned to take you know a short break after hurt and <laughs> it extended to a few months of nothingness which I was fine with I'd done what I what I wanted to <laughs> And then eventually I started to decide it was time to get ready to start doing some uh, more races in 2011. So the, uh, the ecstatic feeling at the finish is great and you always remember it, but eventually you want to do something else. Yeah. Keep going. Most definitely. As 
special of a sport as ultra running is in searching for your mental and physical limits, there's certainly a significant price to be paid for those especially incredibly longer ultra marathons, especially a hundred miles or even further. I mean, there, there is some anguish and physical and perhaps mental pain that you feel after these experiences. And that's inherent in searching for your physical and mental limits. Yeah. And clearly you experience that, but I, I know that you wouldn't trade that in for the world because I'm sure that this experience taught you that you can overcome anything or any obstacle in your life um, based on those 35 hours and 20 minutes of. Oh, I remember thinking that actually after when I was doing some monotonous task at work that was going to take a few hours. And I thought, well, if I can, if I can run through the mountains for 35 hours, I can certainly do this for two hours. You start relating it to that. And then even more so in future races and things, whenever something is going wrong or not right, or something hurts, even after hurt, there's been other races where I've had issues. And so there's always something I can relate back to that was much worse than whatever I'm going through right now. And so you'd always kind of have that in your, in your toolkit for motivation later. Most definitely. It's all of the transferable lessons from ultramarathon into life are significant and they couldn't be more applicable to life. I know, for example, I moved across the country, a job opportunity here in Prince George, and I I don't think without ultramarathon and I would have had the confidence to move 4,100 kilometers away and, and pursue a, a new career in tourism and and a new world in BC without my ultra marathon inexperience. So I mean, it's the same as you relating that to yeah, anything in your life. It's we we overcome uh incredibly difficult obstacles in ultra running and then we can transfer them to our lives. So I, I'm curious. So that's only one of your 11 100 mile journeys. So what was the next 100 mile journey? I mean, clearly we have so much to talk about, Morgan. Yeah, so sure. I don't know if you want to I, go through all of them, but I'll give you yes. some of the notables that were maybe more entertaining to hear about. But um, so that was 2011. I always think of that as 2010 because it's January. You're training through 2010 for it. It's like the tail end of the 2010 season. But anyway, so technically that was 2011. So then I did a few more uh, 50Ks and stuff that summer. And then I knew some people that were going to Oil Creek in Pennsylvania in the fall. And uh, and like I said, I remember thinking, how am I going to motivate myself to do something like this? And I was actually worried going into the race because it wasn't nearly as hard as Hurt. It's got its share of hills and things, but it's not like Hurt was. And uh, so I hadn't, I, I wasn't overly trained for it, but I was fine to go. And so I went uh, with a couple of buddies and uh, yeah, I certainly got my answer about how to motivate myself because uh, Oil Creek, the way it's, three 50k loops and then after each loop you go back to the start finish and then start the next loop and then there's another mini like 12k loop at the end to make it equal 100 miles and so after the first loop 50k we came back in and you have to turn right to go back to the start finish we started in the dark and when we finished that loop it's now light out we turned left we didn't know this me and a buddy steve and we kept going and we started the second loop without going back to the start finish so we haven't really finished the loop yet we didn't know that and so we wound up uh, getting to the next aid station, which was six miles farther. And that's when we realized what was going on. And so 
turns out the place where we turned off, there's this paved bike path, which actually comes by the aid station. So we ran this slightly uphill, which was really annoying, paved bike path four miles back to where we'd won off course. So we added 10 miles. Then we went back to the start finish and finally started the second loop. So now in order to finish this race, it's going to be 110 miles. And so that uh, was what actually motivated me. And so it, when something like that goes wrong and gets makes it tougher than it needed to be, now I had my motivation. I thought this is going to be awesome if we can finish this. This will be now be the longest run I'd ever done. And so that just motivated me to to keep going and uh, and finish it up. And so so I did. I kept going at Oil Creek and uh, uh, I can't remember what I finished that one. It was around thirty hours ish for the one hundred and ten miles. But uh, but yeah. That was the, so that was my second hundred miler and that was uh, 2011 and then 2012, it's kind of funny. I was trying to decide what I want to do. And so it was around December when you're looking at your calendar for next year. And then I, uh, I read born to run by now and I was eyeing Leadville. And so I put my name in for Leadville and back then there was no lotteries. You could just sign up and you're in most races didn't have lotteries. Now you need lotteries to get into everything. And uh, so I put my name in for Leadville. That's the one I decided on. And then uh, I went online and Googled Leadville. I wanted to print up a logo to put in my uh, cubicle at work, just as a reminder. And I see a buddy of mine, his name pops up and he's got a blog and it says Leadville. And I said, what? And I clicked on it. And it turns out these five other runners that I know are also going <laughs> to Leadville that year. <laughs> they had, we hadn't talked about it or anything. And uh, so the six of us went together uh, to Leadville. So, so that was the summer of 2012. And so to get ready for that, they were going to do Mohican. So I signed up for Mohican ahead of time, uh, which is in Ohio. And they wound up doing something else. So I went and did Mohican by myself. And so that was just, I considered that a, a training run for Leadville, basically. And so I just took my time and I waited for my girlfriend, my wife now, but I waited for her at one aid station for like half an hour, just just because it didn't really matter. So Mohican was similar to Oil Creek. They're, they're hilly, but not too hilly, not like hurt or anything, and certainly wouldn't have the climbs that Leadville would. So anyway, so then Leadville uh, was the summer of 2012. And uh, I was ready for it. I trained my butt off for that one. And uh, I was really excited to go. And as soon as you arrive, you notice that you're at 10,000 feet. And just carrying my luggage up the stairs in the B&B we were staying at was tough. And uh, so as for Leadville, that one, uh, it started out fine. Um, uh, one thing I noticed is... I wasn't taking the salt pills. Usually I take salt pills every hour during a race. And they'd had this big speech during the pre-race meeting. There was a doctor talking about how you don't need as much salt. The temperature's cooler. You won't get the cramps. And so I wasn't taking my salt pills. And so I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it. But I wound up having to stop and pee like three times during the first uh, uh, half an hour or so. And after that, I hadn't really thought about it. But I kept going. And then uh, I started to slow down a little by the time we got almost halfway, I wasn't feeling the greatest. And then what I noticed is my watch was getting really tight on my wrist and I was still wearing a belt at the time. I didn't wear a backpack and I had a gut hanging over my belt and I didn't have a gut at the time. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then I get to the 50 mile turnaround at Winfield feeling like crap. And they weigh you to make sure you haven't lost too much weight. And so when they weighed me at Winfield, I gained seven pounds during the first 50 miles and so they said have you been peeing and i said oh yeah and i thought about it i haven't peed all day since that first half hour and so i was retaining all of my fluids i felt like crap and uh i sat down 
And then I wound up trying to get up and I couldn't, I just, it just felt horrible. I had no energy. And then eventually I got myself to get up and go. And then a buddy of mine told me later that he didn't want to scare my girlfriend at the time, but he was going to stop me. He thought I looked so horrible and we were fighting time cutoffs by now. So I had to rush. And so I don't know if, if you know, Ledley, you got to go up and over Hope Pass, you turn around at Winfield. Now we got to go back up and over Hope Pass. My quads were done. I couldn't climb. I'm stopping. I'm going a few feet, stopping a few feet more. I'm grabbing trees near the bottom to help me. And every time I stop, it's just a courtesy. Every runner that goes by, they always ask, are you okay? You know, and I, I, sure. I just say, yeah, to everyone. And then I guess I was getting a little testy. got on my nerves. I sat down partway up the hill and a, and a girl was going by. She said, are you okay? I said, yes, I'm okay. Why does everyone keep asking me that? And she said, because you're blue. I said, oh, okay. And so I wound up eventually getting to the top of Hope Pass. And then when you start to go down the other side, there's the aid station uh, 800 feet below the top, I think it is. I stopped and had some soup and then um, made my way down the mountain. By then it's getting dark and my headlamps were at the bottom, but I brought along a small one just in case. So I was so glad I did. Because on the way down, I uh, passed a few other people. One guy tried to bribe me to give me my light for 100 bucks. because I guess a few other people had the same issue. They didn't realize. Part of the problem was they actually extended the course at the last minute. So uh, that was in 2012, the first year they didn't use the dirt road at the 50-mile turnaround going out to Winfield. It was too con congested and dusty. And so they added, I can't even remember, something like two and a half miles um, on this rolling trail that actually went past the Winfield and came back to it. They've since fixed it, I think, a little bit. Anyway, they did that a few weeks before the race, but they didn't extend the cutoffs or anything. So it actually made it take a lot longer than it should have. So I ran the whole way down. I got into Win uh, Twin Lakes gate station after you get back to the bottom of the hill uh, five minutes before the cutoff. Turns out they extended the cutoff during the race because of that extension because it was caught everyone off guard they didn't extend the final cutoff of the whole race just that aid station anyway got in and out of there still feeling like crap barely made the cutoff and still i'm even bigger now my neck's starting to feel big and obviously uh, what i didn't know and i'll find out later is that uh, yeah i was at altitude sickness pulmonary edema that's what i was going to ask i, I should have stopped I i've heard it. of this a few times and yeah it's not good and being blue is certainly that's a bit of a red relate to altitude sickness yeah and so because it starts at ten thousand, you go up to almost thirteen thousand at the highest point and then you're at eleven thousand for a majority of it and so the next aid station after that so i could barely i couldn't go uphill i could go downhill fine but my quads were done going uphill Anyway, I get to the next aid station two minutes before the next cutoff. And then so after that, the next aid station, there's a place where your crew can meet you. Uh, I think it was Treeline, I believe it was called. And my, so my wife, girlfriend at the time met me there. No one else around. Like I'm right at the end of the pack now. And uh, so by now I'm freezing cold. The temperature's dropping. It's the middle of the night. And she said uh, she had some warm clothes for me. And I said, I'll, I'll see you in half an hour at the next one. The fish hatchery is the next aid station, which they've since moved. But um, and it's roads to get there. The only roads on the whole course, really, other than the, near the start finish. I'll see you in half an hour. I'll meet you there. I don't want to bother changing right now. I head out and now I'm feeling like crap. I'm a little lightheaded. I'm probably not thinking straight. It's a very simple road. You run to the end of the road, you turn left and then around the corner of the aid station. I made a wrong turn. There's another dirt road before you get there. I'm clearly not thinking straight. I went off along this dirt road and I realized I'm not seeing signs or anything. I said, well, there's got to be something. And so I just kept going. Didn't go too far, but I'm going to say 10 minutes or something at least. But I was already fighting the cutoffs. And by then I knew 
there is no way I was going to make it. I, if I turned around and went back, which I did, I tried to run back. I was so exhausted by then. I wasn't going to make it. I, I missed the time cut off by now. I was already borderline to get there if I'd stayed on course. And so I'm feeling horrible. So I slow down, do a walk now. And I turn my headlamp onto strobe. So it's flashing, but I'm on this dirt road. I can see cars miles away. It's all flat there on the other roads, nowhere near me. And so now it starts snowing. There's flurries coming down. I'm everything I'm wearing is drenched through and I'm freezing and there's coyotes howling around me. And it was a horrible feeling just knowing that I was DNFing. I haven't had a DNF up to this point. And so I slowly walk back to the other road. Finally, I see a car come along and it's my girlfriend picking me up. Thank goodness. So she drove me to the A station and they cut off my armband. And uh, anyway, so we went back, back to the hotel and I jumped in a nice warm bath. And by now my chest was hurting. I was even bigger than before. And so she insisted I go to the medical tent. So we went there. Yeah, right away they put me on oxygen and uh, and they, they weighed me, but their scales weren't working. I was so curious to see what I weighed. I was clearly over 10 pounds heavier than the start now because I'm way bigger than I was at the halfway point. Anyway, the scales weren't working. So uh, they put me on oxygen. They asked when we're leaving uh, Leadville. And we said not till you know midday the next day. They said, you need to get out of here and get to lower altitude. So we went back to the hotel. I crashed, passed out, fell asleep, whatever. Woke up hours later, and uh, Lisa, Lisa had packed everything, got the car ready. We went to a restaurant where my buddies were having breakfast, said goodbye, and drove down to Denver. Yeah, by then I was coughing up fluid and everything. It was horrible. Got down to Denver at 5,000 feet. I slept the whole way there, too, and then I started to feel better. So, but yeah, it wasn't a good feeling getting my first DNF. I mean, you know, I, I didn't pull out, but yeah, I missed the time cut off by getting lost, which was because... I, I needed to stop, I think, anyway. Had I made that next cutoff, that would have been a bad scene. Heading back up, after that, you go up power line, another hill. Who knows what would have happened to me by then. I might have, you know, passed out in the woods somewhere because I needed to get out of there and uh, get rested by that point. So it was probably a good thing that I did get pulled when I did. And uh, so that was a good lesson to learn. I was really down in the dumps for a while after that. I mean, you know, I, I didn't pull out by any means, so I kind of had that, but just having a DNF that I hadn't had before. It really, uh, really rocked me, I guess, mentally. And uh, the rest of the year, I didn't do any more races that year. That was in August. And I just took the fall off. I just wasn't mentally, didn't, didn't feel like doing them. But, uh, but, but it, going on with races, I did throw my name in the Western States lottery that year and wound up getting in for 2013. That's incredible. So, yeah. So because I'd done my, my training run, Mohican, that qualified me for Western. <laughs> so the lottery. So, and I totally forgotten I was even in it. I was actually moving that day. And I started getting texts on my phone from people. <laughs> congratulations. I'm like, what are you talking about? I forgot the lottery was even happening. And, uh, and they're all congratulating me. And uh, so I got into Western for 2013. Talk about completely different. I mean, so I, I've never heard of an experience like that before with regards to your your experience at Leadville, that's incredibly concerning, truthfully. Yeah. I, wasn't. I, I, even though I always find that DNFs are an interesting concept because we set this arbitrary goal that we want to reach. So obviously the arbitrary goal in this case is adventuring a hundred miles through the mountains in Leadville, yeah. which yeah. is incredibly special. But I always find it interesting because I mean, we, we set different goals and based on that, I mean, so if you had signed up for the 50 mile in Leadville, then you would have 
done phenomenal. So I, I always take DNFs with a grain of salt and I, I, I can understand why that was difficult to digest, but I would say that the most important uh, aspect of that experience is that at times you just need to look after your health and there was nothing that you could do in that situation. I mean, you, you were suffering from pulmonary edema. So based on that, I actually wouldn't even view it as, as a DNF. I mean, I know technically on the race results it is, but in terms yeah. of the life experience, Morgan, I mean, everything that you overcame during that experience, it's, you reached your finish in a way you yeah, I learned a lot, obviously. <laughs> yes. You technically didn't finish a hundred miles, uh, but my DNF was at 75 miles. So, you know, yes. I, I got to experience the course and everything about it. And, uh, and again, I was there with buddies and stuff. And so it was great. The whole experience was fun. Yeah. And which I, I'm sure you could appreciate my perspective on that because you did everything that you could within your own power on that day. So, and making that wrong turn and on the previous aid station, you were two minutes ahead of the cutoff. Then it became clear. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, you made the wrong turn and then there's nothing that you can do. So it's, you, you reached your finish in a way. And I'm incredibly inspired that you carried on as long as you did, because I mean, clearly for hours on end, you were battling pulmonary edema, which is, is incredibly concerning. And you you showed incredible mental fortitude and physical fortitude to battle that for hours on end in the mountains. So yeah, I'm one. inspired by that, Morgan, even though it's on the race results, it's technically called a DNF. But again, that's based on an arbitrary goal that we set for ourselves, right? True. Yeah, it's all in the had the cutoff been 36 hours or something, then I would have still been going. I might have been dead in the woods somewhere, but I would have kept going. But, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, in ways, it's <laughs> it's it's better that it worked out the way that it did because you were safe and and yeah, and you could leave and go to Denver and find wellness. <laughs> yeah. If that ever happens again, honestly, I'd probably pull myself. But uh, I didn't know the signs. I had no idea. I wasn't even on my mind going into the race that I could get altitude sickness. I didn't even think about it. And so now anytime I have a mountain race, I'm cognizant of how I felt at that time. And I've never experienced it again. I've done many more in the mountains, not always at that height, but still, and never had it again. So, so that's uh, one takeaway. I'm extremely grateful to hear you haven't went through that again, because it's not something that we can control whether that no. happens to us. And no, we, we had a strategy going in. It was me and a couple of buddies. Uh, he, one of them had done some research and we were taking every day, like uh, we we're almost ODing on vitamin C, folic acid. And there was a third mineral we took, which was supposed to help with altitude. Clearly it didn't work. And uh, I forget what the third one was, but anyway, lesson learned, but you know, it's more, more in the training, but I was well-trained for that too, which is why it was kind of disheartening because I, I've done some races where I've gone in severely undertrained, and that one i was ready for and so uh yeah it's too bad but yeah lesson learned move on and then, it's uh, it's hugely unfortunate because you obviously were incredibly trained and that's how you carried on for so many hours with pulmonary edema which is endlessly unfortunate but so so then after that later on that year being accepted into Western States. I mean, how incredibly exciting was that? And and you had forgotten about the lottery. So yeah, and then your friends that. are messaging you and they're telling you that you got into Western States. Yeah, I was so, I was kind of, 
I don't know, disassociated from running for a bit. Like I was so down after Leadville, I had no more races that year. And so I wasn't even thinking about running. I was focused on, like I said, I was moving that day, too many life things going on. And uh, so once I got it, yeah, then I got excited. And, you know, I obviously really wanted to do Western. It's a dream for a lot of people to get there, just getting through the lottery. And uh, I was super excited. And uh, so that was uh, I did that in 2013. So, so to get ready for that, uh, that I probably had a lot more issues going into that even than Leadville. Uh, I hadn't run that much over the winter. I started to ramp up in February and then I went back out to Dundas Valley, the Sulphur Springs course. Yes. And I did a 20 K loop on the ice. I didn't have any ice spikes back then. And uh, actually, I just got ice bikes this year, to be honest. Um, the whole thing was on ice. So my your legs are trying to spread apart. I mean, the entire 20K was ice. And so my adductors after 20K were killing me. And I didn't realize how bad they were. That took probably almost a year to fully recover my adductors. They were horrible. And so I couldn't run for a little while after that. That was late February. And so I was worried whether I'd even be able to do Western. So I started to slowly try and ramp up, but they were really bad. And uh, in the winter, I stuck to road runs for a bit because the undulating terrain on a trail was hurting them too much. And even running on the roads, if I tried to turn around to see if a car is coming, the opposite leg would have a searing pain down my adductor. I couldn't even turn around. And so running was really hard for a while. And so I signed up for sulfur. Um, I think I signed up for 100. I think 50 was sold out. So I signed up for 100, fully intending to just do 50. But I thought, well, at least I've signed up for 100. So if I feel like I, I want to keep going, then I can. So I slowly ramped up. I did pick your poison in uh, April. And I've done that race, I think, <laughs> six times now. I'm doing that again this year. Uh, I've done that race more than any other. That's, That's a, a popular great ultra race in Ontario. Oh, I love sure. it. And it's early in the season. So it really gives you a gauge on where you're at. But so I ran that and I did that. I think I ran the whole race with a buddy and uh, Chris and I was in pain the whole time, especially near the end. Like my doctors were killing me and I couldn't even keep quiet about it anymore. I was almost right yelling. from the beginning. Yeah. And so I tried to, as long as I run straight without turns and stuff, then they weren't too bad, but I had to try just to see how they felt. So I'd know whether to pull out a Western and it was painful, but I made it through. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do sulfur and see what happens. So I did sulfur again. I ran it with Chris and I think he was partially injured. So we just took our time and we did the first four loops together and, it hurt, but I noticed it wasn't getting worse. So it got to a point where my adductors were killing me, but then they didn't get worse after that. So I wound up sticking around. So I thought, okay, I'll do another loop. So I did another loop after that. So that, and then it was a hundred K. And then I thought, oh, well, I called my wife and I said, well, I'm still here now. I'm just going to finish it out. So I wound up doing the full hundred and very slow. I think we even walked the final loop. And so it's, uh, I was just happy to know that it didn't get progressively worse after that. And so whether that was smart or not, probably not. Western was five weeks after that. So I probably should have held back, but it's not like we were running really hard. I was more trying to see how my adductors felt. And so as bad as they were, I was able to get through it. So I, as soon as that race was done, I knew I was still going to Western, whether I could finish it or not, who knows, but it was good enough for me to at least go. <laughs> and so, so I did. So I went into Western, uh, not trained optimally because I couldn't, but trained enough. I felt okay. And, uh, I met a buddy ahead of time who'd done Western before. One of his tips was right at the beginning, there's the big climb up. You go up to about 6,000 feet in the next. To the escarpment, three yeah, and a half exactly. miles. And then you're going, you know, downhill for the next 20 miles ish. He told me during that span, hammer it. Cause you can make up a lot of time. And so I did. And, uh, but I, 
took his advice a bit uh, bit too far, I guess. And I went way too hard. And by the time the next 20 miles or so, my quads were done. And it, it was weird. It was the opposite of Leadville. I could climb no problem. I would passing people on all the uphills still, but I could not go downhill. And so the other problem was my adductors were killing me. And those hurt when I stepped sideways. So as long as I ran straight, I was okay. But I was, wasn't moving very fast. My quads were done on the downhill. So I had to gingerly walk down the hill. So when I got past last chance trying to go down the hill to the river, oh, it took me forever. Everyone would pass me on the downhills. And by now I was starting to get uh, blisters. I'd stepped in some streams earlier when I was running downhill by accident. I couldn't avoid this one stream. And I'm starting to get blisters. And I haven't had any bad blisters since hurt. I'm still wearing the same type of shoes. And then the blisters started getting really bad. And then by the time I got to Forest Hill, I slowed down. 100 kilometers, 62 uh, miles. Exactly, 62 miles. And I went to see the medical people. I'd never stopped during a race before. Never. This is the first time I've taken my, I took my shoes off at Leadville when they were wet, but I'd never had my feet serviced during a race. And so they took off my socks, which was horrible. And they were just, they were horrible. And, uh, probably as bad as they were by the end of hurt. And uh, so they take them up as best they could. And I kept going. So after that, between my dead quads, my adductors, and then my feet were on fire for the rest of the race, I grinded it out. And uh, I, I was really ecstatic finishing Western. So I finished it in 29 and a half ish hours and 2940 maybe 2920 I can't remember and uh I was so happy to get it done <laughs> and uh that was a long second half of that race and so I'd always been planning to go back because I really wasn't happy with that I was glad I did it but I really could have done it a lot better I for the first few aid stations I was maintaining my original goal was hoping for a 24 hour pace um it's a net downhill race so it's not unachievable even if you're not a front of the pack runner and so I was hoping for it but uh still got to go back and uh, and do better and so so that was 2013 I was happy to have that one done already and uh and after that my priority after that was I'd always wanted my dream has always been to get to hard rock and back then western was a qualifier for hard rock it's not anymore and for hard rock your qualifiers are for two years and so I was able to apply uh, for the lottery in 2013 and 2014 for hard rock. And then after that, I made sure I started doing hard rock qualifiers every year and, or at least minimum every two years. And so I could keep applying. So still haven't got in uh, last year. I got denied for the eighth time. And so there was no lottery for 2019. It was canceled due to snow 2020. It was canceled due to all the fun everyone had. And so there was two years they didn't have the lottery, but other than that, yeah, eight times now I've shot down. So hopefully next year we'll see. Well, so with regards to the Pinker Poison followed by Sulphur Springs, followed by the incredibly iconic special Western States 100, I, I'm, I'm blown away that, I mean, clearly your pain management levels, Morgan, are phenomenal. I mean, you covered an incredible amount of mileage, especially to have finished Sulphur Springs and the full 100 miles, even not planning originally to finish the full 100 miles, your pain management, your determination, and your no-quit attitude, no matter the pain that you felt, is it, it's beyond phenomenal. And then, I mean... Tell tell us about some of your favorite sections of Western states in terms of the scenery. Oh, it was great. It's uh, it, it's one of my it's maybe my favorite course. I like courses where 
the uh, the sections change greatly. I've done other races where, especially with loops, where it's the same thing for the whole race. That was one thing about Cruel Jewel, which was, I did that in 2019. That was another mental challenge. The entire race seemed like the same, never changing, even though- and there's the same for Sulphur Springs. Exactly. Longer loops. So it's a different mentality. It's, it's, it's almost like doing loops somewhere. It's a mental challenge doing that. When you have a race, especially if it's point to point or even one giant loop, so that you're not doing the same sections, Western was great for that because you start at the beginning in the ski resort, you go up, there was snow at the top still. And uh, after that, you go down into the canyons. The other problem that year was it was the second hottest year on record for Western States that year. I don't know if they've beaten it since, but uh, it was so hot in the canyons. It was over 100 degrees down there. And so uh, that just made it even tougher. But um, there had been a fire a year or two before that. So there was one reforested fire area we ran through. And uh, so between going down into the canyons and out, it, it, it changes so much, the scenery. And uh, I loved it. And then with the heat, you want to lie down. Any creek or stream you can find to lie down in, absolutely. Um, but the bottom, after last chance I was going down, I brought an extra bottle, uh, handheld, specifically to fill up with water to spray myself with. No, not drinking it, just to keep myself cool. And so when I had them fill it up at last chance and I headed down into the canyon, I was spraying myself. And... Uh, I kept getting swarmed by bees. And then I realized they'd filled it My with a free energy drink. And so I couldn't wait to get to the bottom. I dove in the river at the bottom just to get the bees away from me and uh, get the smell off. But uh, anyway, so yeah, so that one, uh, the heat did not help uh, help me going through that race at all. But now you got to have mental fortitude to get through any of these. Everyone does who does these things, but uh, it, it's tough. I mean, and honestly, I'm not actually even any good at endurance events. I'm primarily a sprinter. Like when I play soccer, even growing up, I was always one of the fastest kids. I've not never been good at endurance. So I'm I'm pushing through all these, which is why I actually do very well on the hills with leg strength and stuff. And then once it comes to the the longer stretches, then uh, that's when everyone else is passing me. So the whole thing for, for is a grind for me, but uh, I enjoy the challenge. So I'll, I'll keep doing these. And that's why I keep trying. I stick with the mountain ones now. I'm always trying to do something harder and look for stuff that I can't finish. And uh, it's the challenge that I enjoy. And and the feeling you get at the end when you do a tough race and finish it. I have no aspiration to do like long flat ones or anything like that. And I, there's no challenge whether I can do it. It's just coming down to time on those ones. And so I like doing ones that I don't know if I can even do. Definitely. That's certainly a significant aspect of why we pursue ultra running. We're looking for obviously the unknown and, and get out of the comfort zone. Yes. There's a special feeling about pursuing a goal that you don't know that you're capable of and then finding yourself on new levels that, you've never been on before. And I mean, clearly you've done that on numerous occasions. So let's after Western state. So, I mean, we've talked about many of your hundred mile experiences now, but so where are we here about some of your other 100 mile journeys and, and what those looked like. (laughs) Okay. So 2014, I pretty much took the year off of running in 2014. I was kind of, I don't want to say burned out, but, uh, I had a lot going on. I switched jobs. I got married that year, had a kid, switched jobs. I had been at a job for 14 years, changed jobs that year. So I wound up, I signed up for Sulfur 50 mile, um, didn't even really barely train for it and had a horrible time, but I got through that. That was the only race I did that year. But by the end of the year, I was really itching to get back into it again. And so uh, 2015, I signed up for uh, Wasatch, the Wasatch Front in uh, Utah. 
that's a great race. So that's one of the old historical races. And uh, yeah, I had a great time there. That that one, I don't know. I, when I finished, I felt like I didn't really enjoy it. But that's just because the end sucks. It's uh, tons of fire roads near the end. And it was super hot. And uh, there's one point near the end where you can see the finish line. You're up on this ridge in the heat. And it was so hot that day. And it's 12 miles away. But you can see it because you're going to go way out around and come back. And uh, and the fire roads, the heat, there's this red dirt covering these fire roads up on these ridges. And the the sun just heats up the road. So whenever you walk by a tree on the side, you just step through the shade. You can feel the temperature drop down. You step back out. And the heat, it's coming up from the road. It's not coming down on you. It's coming up. So I was so happy to finish that. And then right at the end, they make you run around this reservoir. It's this gravel trail. Um, around this water reservoir for uh, it's about 10k to the finish at that point and you, you just want to be done you've been up and down in the mountains through the night everything else and you just want to be done by that point and so I wound up just running and mo most people are walking I think I passed I counted to it was almost 20 people who are there by then they're walking with their families and everything I just wanted to finish so I ran the whole last 10k into the finish just to get it done but yeah that was really cool and I was there with Ken uh, Ninema who was doing the grand slam uh, he, and so he was actually the fastest canadian ever to finish the grand slam so um he uh he finished wasatch at the end uh, and was waiting around for me at the finish with uh, with a buddy of mine who was crewing for us and uh, i had to get a buddy i paid for him to come and crew for him because they don't it's a point-to-point -point race and they don't guarantee a ride back to the start at the end and so <laughs> i paid for a buddy to come along just so we'd have a ride at the end and so he met me along the way and helped crew that was fun it was actually my buddy growing up uh from when we were little he moved years ago away uh to texas my best friend so he came out he'd never seen a race before so that was fun but uh yeah so i did wasatch so again hard rock qualifier so i could get my name in and then uh year after that was fat dog 120 uh, oh i love that race that was awesome it looks like they're the new course this year i was looking at it it's similar to the way it was back in 2016 when i did it i know for a few years due to the fires they had to create some loops in manning park i think something like that now it's back to starting just at the Carimios, but near the end you skip the skagit valley and then do a another little loop around so it's similar to the original course which uh which is awesome so anyway that's uh that's a great race i think you were uh when did you go last year Yes, I I was in the Fat Dog 120 Ultra Marathon last year, and it was it was a unique experience. It was uh, a true life experience for me. Yeah, it's beautiful. I loved it. And uh, yeah, I overcame some different types of obstacles, and and it was uh, truthfully, it was not an ideal experience for myself, but. I yeah. overcame some different obstacles and that I carry forward in my life always now. You'll use it for sure. Yes, in, in which it was, uh, truthfully, I mean, it's it, it was a, a, a very difficult experience for me. But with that being said, I, I learned to overcome some different types of challenges that I'll always yeah. carry forward in my really? life. And that's a wrap on this episode of Trail Tales ARP, a running podcast from Sean Solbon and Russell the Runner. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at trail underscore tales underscore ARP. 
Check out our YouTube channel at Trail Tales ARP, and you can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Catch you next time. Run wild. I'm a